0: Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Powatic.
1: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Powatic with Aaron Cameron at the second day of the Toronto Real Estate Forum. Uh, this is part of our speaker video series. We want to thank our sponsors, Dow Lukovic, ML Emporio Properties, and Turner and & Townsend. Narit Altman, Managing Director, RBC Capital Markets Real Estate Group, is our second guest of the day. She was a speaker yesterday, and now she's agreed to join us on the uh, the podcast, and we thank her for it. Uh, welcome, Nareet.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: What's more pressure, speaking on the panel yesterday or speaking on the podcast today?
0: Oh, yesterday, for sure. Yeah, 2,700 people.
1: Oh, we got more listeners than that. I didn't, I didn't tell you how many listeners we got. <laughs> so let's jump back to the beginning. How'd you get into real estate? How'd you get to uh, where you are today? And then you know, segue into what does RBC Capital Markets do?
0: So my story starts when I was 18 years old. I graduated high school a year early, fast-tracked through OAC, and decided to defer my acceptance to McGill by a year because I wanted to go backpacking in Europe. And my dad was in real estate. He got me a couple interviews. And I ended up getting a job as Jamie Ziegle's assistant's assistant. He was running the investment team at uh, Royal Page Commercial at the time. And so I spent a few months there getting people coffee Photocopying. I helped plan the Christmas party. And generally, I uh, would say I learned nothing about real estate, but uh, really enjoyed the environment. Made enough money to go backpacking, went, did my BCOM at McGill, and every summer would go back to LaPage, which eventually became Cushman and Wakefield, because I just, I thought it was a good summer job. I liked the people, I liked the vibe, but I wasn't all that exposed to much more than the photocopier. So the summer before my last year of school, I thought, well, I can't photocopy. <laughs> anything else. I need to use my brain. And I asked LaPage if they would sponsor me in doing an independent study course with McGill. And Jamie was taking over the retail group at the time. And he said, can you help me figure out what we should do here? And so we did a whole study on the retail real estate industry in Canada and how Lapage could grow that business, their, their retail leasing business primarily. And that was when the light bulb went off that, you know, not just do I like the environment and like the people, but I like the business. And I thought it was one that I could build a career in. So when I graduated from uh, McGill, I went back full time to implement some of the ideas that we came up with in the study. And Did that for less than a year, probably, when Jamie said, you know— come over to the investment side. That's really where you're going to uh, be able to, you know, to build the career you want. And so did that with uh, with him for, again, maybe it was a year and a half before I was approached by Brookfield, who had just started Brookfield Financial, which is a boutique advisory firm working for Leonard Abramsky, who did retail investment sales. Now my expertise of eight months and one and a half years could be combined into a career. And I, I stayed there for 11 and a half years. It was an incredible experience. It was a small team when I joined, who was doing big deals and I got exposed to so much, you know, got to watch some of the best in the business negotiate live, you know, to be there sitting next to them while they got had the tough discussions, uh, watched what a pitch should look like and just, yeah, got to see a lot of deal flow. And so I credit that organization um, and that experience so much with where I am today But it changed over time. It became global. The um, senior uh, leaders who I had such a strong connection with and who really, you know, mentored me, many of them left. And it was just at that time that I was approached by RBC Capital Markets, uh, who was thinking about succession planning in that group. And they said, would you like to come over? And we had partnered on a number of deals. And I knew it was the type of place that I would fit in. I knew that, you know, we worked in the same way, you know, very, you know, high standards, high integrity. And so I made the leap. And that was about five years ago. So RBC Capital Markets Real Estate Group, you know, does all the things that you think an investment bank would do in terms of raising equity and debt for public companies. Um, We do debt advisory, but we have a large national property brokerage team. And the idea being, you know, Real estate companies can raise equity in the public markets, but a really important way that they raise equity is by selling assets. So we think it's part of a full service solution for our clients. You know, so working with Leonard at Brookfield, much of my career was in selling retail real estate. Brookfield then was selling, started to sell a few of their office buildings, so got exposed to that. When I came over to RBC, what I saw was that we did not have a platform for the sale of multifamily outside of Quebec. Our team there was very strong and. I thought, why are we not doing this across the country? Because this is a time where multifamily is a very desirable asset class. So I took that on. And that's been a really exciting ride since I've been there, you know, went from never having sold an apartment building to, um, you know, we just took bids on a, a portfolio of a half a billion dollars here in Toronto. So, and just, you know, why do people hire us, it's because of the people. And, you know, because of a variety of relationships that I've built over the years, I'm now working on a number of industrial deals, which again is a first. But I think it's really important to have asset class expertise, and that's what the team is for. But having the trust, the relationships, and being an expert in how to run these processes, how to tap the right capital, I think is why people hire us. So I've become, you know, probably similar to your business, a bit of a generalist working right now, active across the country, across asset classes, but really just trying to focus on deals that have liquidity.
1: (laughs) Well, you didn't mention office, I guess, or that would uh, become part of the equation.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I've definitely, I've been fortunate to get to work on a number of really interesting office deals. I mean, what was it now, two years ago that we got to uh, sell Royal Bank Plaza where our head office is for over a billion dollars. But yeah, office is challenging. I mean, everything is hard right now, but office is probably the hardest because, well, for a variety of reasons, but including the fact that it is so hard to get financing on an office deal today and without the financing, the liquidity dries up even more than, uh, than it already has.
1: So what is your favorite asset class, just purely intellectual level, not, uh, you know, liquidity availability? Just going to say hospitality or something like that, yeah.
0: Well, I still love retail. Retail has my heart um, because I love shopping and I, you know, so I like the liquidity of selling apartment buildings. But during an apartment building, you're in people's homes, you know, there's a variety of things you might come across. But when you go to a shopping mall, (laughs) you come across shoes, (laughs) handbags, all the things I like, yeah. It's also it is the most complex asset class to underwrite. So I really believe that if you start out in retail, everything else is easy from there.
1: But well, which side of the street you're on can matter in a big way. For an apartment, it doesn't really matter so much. Well, you don't you don't get percentage rents in apartments either.
0: No, no. But well, maybe you know the, with the way that the market's going, you never know.
2: <laughs> Before we move on to the, sort of the fundamentals and the, what's going on in the marketplace, how many? How big is your team?
0: Oh, we are about 30 across the country, but that's our capital markets team, our debt advisory, and our brokerage team. I think brokerage alone would be about 18.
2: Okay. And you guys are active across the country?
0: We're active across the country. We have offices in Toronto, Montreal, and Calgary. And really, we cover the whole country coast to coast from those offices.
2: And so how do you spend your time? Are you looking for new clients or just working with existing clients? Like, What's the vast majority of your your time frame?
0: I would say it's a little bit of both. Interestingly, so I would say RBC Capital Markets, our focus is really our institutional clients, you know, people who are in the business of investing in real estate and who are regular sellers of real estate as well. But You know, I I can't say it was exactly strategic, although I have been working a lot with our private bankers and our enterprise strategic client group to get a better sight line and better access to the high net worth private clients. But it feels a bit coincidental or even demographic uh, that suddenly there's a number of private families who are thinking about estate planning, you know, the patriarch has passed. There is something that needs to change within the ownership structure. And so I'm working right now with a number of private families in the disposition of their real estate. And, you know, these are different. You're not prospecting them all the time because these are families that once in a generation might sell. But just, you know, like all of us, you have a network and you get connected with people. And when, you know, there's a need, you're able to sort of access that. So I think, you know, my day is always a combination of Execution and prospecting, and trying to figure out where are those pockets of liquidity. I mean, right now, obviously, always we're trying to find product, but right now it's almost about trying to find the money is the uh, the harder part of the equation.
1: What's harder to raise right now, debt or equity?
0: Depends on the asset class, I suppose. But I think equity. I mean, we work on a lot of big deals, and so typically we're working with well capitalized groups who have deep banking relationships, and so as I would say maybe the terms are imperfect, the loan to value is imperfect, but you can usually find debt if you're a good borrower, but finding equity for big deals is really, really challenging. Getting someone comfortable and finding someone who has the confidence to say, now is the time to buy this piece of real estate. A lot of people will just say, why not just wait?
1: Wait six months, you'll get a better price. You'll get bond yields down, whatever whatever it is.
0: And even if you don't get a better price, you will feel more comfortable in the decision because, in theory, the environment will be less risky.
2: More more certainty. We always talk about this, the, the, the amount of uncertainty in the marketplace. Last question on just kind of the environment you're working in. International, domestic, what's the splits on yours, your clientele?
0: Highly skewed to domestic. I mean, the Canadian real estate market is overcapitalized just with Canadian capital. So, you know, we have these pension funds that punch above their weight class. We have a, you know, right now not active in investments, but um, you know, a large public market with the REITs, lots of funds, you know, so there's never a shortage of Canadians and then you'll have a sprinkling of foreign. People love to hear that there's a foreign group who's, you know, not your usual buyer. And I think there's a view that they'll pay more.
2: We'll thank Achilles for that. I mean, a a great, great company, great organization. But there was a period there six or seven years ago where they were just coming in and buying everything at cap rates. Let's call it 50 basis points less than the domestic capital was willing to pay. And so it... uh...
0: Well, do you remember Anbang?
2: AmBank, yeah.
0: Again, a, a, you know, the Chinese group that was pay, willing to pay cap rates that no one else was. And so there's always that hope that you find that needle in the haystack. But nine times out of 10, we're dealing with domestics. At, at
1: a more micro level, I uh, was about an hour outside of Toronto and saw a billboard up by a realtor. And it's arms spread out going, I have Toronto buyers. You know, same for them, the mythical Toronto buyer who will pay 2x market just because they got to live in fill-in-the-blank small town. It's <laughs> the dream. So let's go to the fundamentals of the marketplace right now.
2: It's um, You're sitting here at the Toronto Real Estate Forum near the end of the year. How's 2023 been for you?
0: Ooh, it uh, has been a lot of work for a limited result, is how I would put it. I mean, on one hand, I feel like our team is just firing on all cylinders, and I'm really proud of... The deals we're working on, the clients that have put their trust in us, like there's a lot of great product that we've had the opportunity to represent. And that has been a great part of the year and and rewarding in some way. But it is so frustrating trying to get a deal done today. It usually falls apart. You know, if you can find a buyer and you have a willing seller at that price, then you put it under contract. The cost of debt changes three or four times throughout your due diligence process. You get renegotiated, it falls apart, you try to put it back together. So the deal cycle is so long and so often ends in no transaction. And so it's been frustrating. It's hard to kind of come in and stay motivated every day when that is the uh, the backdrop. But that's, I think, the beauty of being on a team. You kind of prop each other up. And when one person's having a down day, the other person uh, can, uh, can step in and help. But I feel... You know, optimistic. I, I it, the work is not for nothing. I feel optimistic that you know we are heading into a period of time where transaction activity will pick up. I think, and all this work we're doing maybe makes for a great 2024 pipeline.
2: How often have you been getting potential clients or clients come in and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about selling," and you go, "Okay, great. Here's what we would recommend the selling price be," and they go, "Okay, never mind then."
0: What typically has happened is we say, this is what we think it would sell for. And they say, no, we would like a a higher price. So please go to market and try to do that. So, you know, maybe that's poor client management, but you do try to help your client achieve their objectives. That's what we're here for. And even... You know, we're probably taking on stuff that is lower probability in terms of hitting pricing targets, but I think our job is to deliver the market right now. It's very difficult to give perfect advice on pricing, but for our clients, we will spend the time and do the work, go out and deliver them the market, and then they have a decision to make.
2: In our world, it's not dissimilar in a certain sense. Where clients are showing up to us and saying, I-, "I want, I need a loan amount. I need a loan on my property." And, and our philosophy is, let's be honest, right? Let's let's tell them exactly what we are going to be able to to provide. And so we'll say, okay, your your loan is going to be twenty million, and they go, yeah, but you know, investor it, lender A, lender B, lender C says it's going to be twenty four million, and and we go, well can't do that. And, and, and uh, yeah, well, and particularly if, if everybody's using CMHC. And so you often have the same source of capital and the same ultimate underwriting parameters, and we're all going through the same process and not just similar to you, we get the same buyer pool, regardless of who's listing. We kind of say, okay, well, good luck getting that 24 million. And then of course, lo and behold, the client calls and goes, yeah, I got 20 million, just like you said. Does that happen in your world where you, you've, you've got other competitors saying, hey, I'll get you so much more than you think is actually possible? And how do you maintain your morale when you
1: know you might actually lose a deal? All you have to do is throw a higher loan amount or higher because the deal will still happen and the borrower or buyer in this case would be a little or vendor be a little upset about the result but they're still going to End up with a trade record going in favor of. I mean, I'm not the sales guy. Adam is, but I'm often. I'm sure you're losing business at times when you just being right and not paid is not. You know, it was okay, but but uh, <laughs> being right and paid would be better. But long term is better for your career to give the advice that's uh, actually reflective of truth. Because you hope the next time they come back and they go, "You were right. I'll trust you this time."
0: And that's that's exactly how we look at it. We're in this for the long game, so give good advice. Give the right advice. People remember even if they don't hire you, they remember that you gave good advice. And so we think that we'll pay dividends in the long run, even if it's very frustrating at the time. And you try your very best not to go, to so.
2: <laughs> but uh, everyone says that. Like, I'm sure if I had your all of your competitors sitting here and I asked the exact same question, they all say the exact same thing. But somebody's always throwing out a number that's not reasonable.
1: There is one. I, I won't say who it is, but they're notorious for it. They're big. I will not say who it is, though.
0: <laughs> but that's kind of the beauty of the market and the reason why you have certain people willing to pay more for an asset than others like sometimes we pitch something and we see something others don't or we just have more conviction because of a recent deal we've done so you know we're sometimes the ones who overshoot for whatever reason but we do stand by like what we never do is just overshoot to win the business we stand behind what we put on paper for better or for
1: worse. Yeah, because if you take the former approach, you're going to have a series of one-off clients who don't come back to you.
0: Well, the other thing is worse than losing a deal is winning and then not transacting because you're just wasting your time. Like I could be on the beach and, you know, have the same results. So there's, there's not a big win in uh, taking something on that is unrealistic.
2: How often are deals going to market and then just stalling right now? A lot. More than you've ever seen?
0: More than I've ever seen. I mean, I would say that our hit ratio when we, you know, in a normal market, I would say it was be close to ninety percent of the deals that we took on would close. Today it feels more like fifty.
1: Will they come back? These are deals that will come back in twenty twenty five or the the promised land comes?
0: I hope so. I mean, I was um we were in the market with a great retail asset in Vancouver. We just couldn't get to the pricing and I just Had a call from a a client in our enterprise strategic client group who was in Asia. We sent her with the package. She's come back with the buyer. We might be able to get something done. That you know, so that we launched in January, and here we sit. You know, tomorrow's December, and finally, we might be able to kind of revive this thing. So I think that that is my hope is that that's what next year brings is a lot of revival of work that we put in. We're
2: hearing a lot of whispers of a lot of off-market stuff going on, partly because those that are selling for good reasons, don't want the reputational risk that they're selling and there might be a a, a distress sale going on. So there's I think legitimate off market sales. And I think there are some distress situations occurring where there's they're trying to sort of reposition their their structure or recapitalize to save themselves from whatever challenges they found themselves in. How do you play in that market? What's the what's your role in that? And do you have a comment on that kind of the whispers? Yeah, the whispers we're hearing.
0: What I would say is that, I mean, I have been so pleasantly surprised by the resilience of our industry and our market and how well capitalized people are because we just, we have not seen that much distress. Little bits here and there, but uh, I would have expected, particularly, you know, I would have thought developers, you know, people sitting on land, that's, those are big.
2: They're holding on. Isn't it amazing? Yeah.
0: They're holding on and it's, uh, it's very impressive. So I, that's the good news but we certainly are doing more off market deals because as i said earlier you know the challenge right now is not getting your hands on product it's finding a buyer so you go well do we go to market go through the whole you know process of underwriting putting a package together if we don't really have visibility on a buyer better that we go you know chat with a few people try to figure out who the buyer is and just deal directly with them so it depends on the asset i mean You know, industrial, I wouldn't recommend doing that because there is still a good bid for that asset class, you know, similar in apartments. But perhaps if something is very large, perhaps if it's a, you know, an office deal with a bit of hair on it, like there are situations where I think it makes more sense to just talk to a few, uh, a few groups and rather than doing a broad marketing campaign.
1: So to 2023 was you know tougher years. you said. I'm sure you've been in the conference and heard the uh, Survive to 25 over and over and over. In between 2023 and 2025, you of course, of 2024. What's that going to look like for your team?
0: Listen, I'm uh, an optimist. And I will admit, though, I have been wrong almost every day since about March 2020. <laughs> uh, it's funny because as I was walking in here, uh, the guys standing over there with the digital platform we're like oh you're in you're in our video and i recently watched that video that i recorded here last year and how wrong i was in every prediction that i made so take this all with a grain of salt but so in the last few weeks we we have a lot of a number of large listings you know Vancouver industrial Toronto apartments Toronto industrial that we've taken bids on you know half a billion dollars 300 million dollars and we have got Probably $4 billion, if you add all these bids together, came in in the last few weeks. Is the pricing perfect? No. But that's a lot of liquidity. And so I'm actually feeling quite encouraged that groups are out there with money and ready to put it to work. I'm hopeful that, you know, we've seen the last interest rate hike. I don't know when, you know, the, in my view, the next move by the Bank of Canada is a cut. I don't know when that will happen, but just the feeling that we're done Moving up, I think will bring a lot of um, positivity to the market and I think just uh, take away a lot of the volatility and hopefully that allows transactions to happen. So, you know, I don't think next year is going to be a perfect year from a transaction volume perspective. I'm sure it's going to be back weighted, but I do feel that, you know, things will start to flow. The real question is where do cap rates go? Is it, you know, do transactions start happening because rates fall through the floor and cap rates go back to where they were? I don't think so, but I think that stability, you know, people being able to take a view, have conviction, will bring buyers and sellers together.
1: I'm a little worried because I agree with you, but you're telling me your track record is not great? It's not
0: great. <laughs> but you know what? Better to be an optimist. I still take the optimistic position.
1: Classic sales, of course, yeah. In previous you know, market disruptions, we'll, we'll call it, where transactions were put on pause, it did tend to, um, when they came back to market, come back with not a flood, but leap back up in volume. Do you see that for 2024? You mentioned back-weighted. I fully agree with that. As soon as you have sort of stability in the market, do you think it will open the gates into late 2024, 2025, back to the, uh, the real estate party we've all been accustomed to?
0: I would love to say yes. And I, I was just talking about how optimistic I was. But I think there's going to be a bit of PTSD from this experience. It's going to take some time for investors to trust, even if we are in a period of stability, even if there is a rate cut, to trust that the trajectory is going to continue in a way that they predicted it would because the last 18 months has certainly not been that. I think we, there's been a lot of surprises and so my view is that there's going to be more caution, um, you know, people dipping their toe rather than diving back in. That will be 2024 and I think that by 2025 we'll maybe get back to a more normalized market. I'm hoping that, you know, the party that we saw because interest rates were near zero is not one that we see again because that was because we were in crisis. I'm just hoping for normal.
1: yeah, we we don't want one and a half percent interest rates on.
0: Because I'd rather not have another stay-at-home order in my lifetime.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, geez, yeah, don't mention it. The um, this the I think the the hope, as you say, the optimistic hope is that it's this consistent band. There's some certainty; rates are going to stay in this nice band. Everything's going to be stable going forwards. I mean, there's obviously going to be noise around it, but if the cost of capital can be consistent and we can start making decisions and start projecting our costs going forwards, I think that saves a lot of helps a lot of people.
0: I do think there is such positive tailwinds for the real estate industry in Canada. I mean, population growth fills our office buildings. It fills our apartment buildings. It means people are going to the mall to shop. And so in the long run, there is going to be a huge amount of capital putting its, being put to work in the real estate space. Over what period of time, though, you know, does it come flooding back that I, I'm not sure I have perfect visibility on?
1: So no froth in 2025, so maybe maybe later.
0: No froth, but maybe us brokers can make a living. <laughs>
2: Great. Well, out of time, unfortunately. I'd like to thank uh, First National for powering the podcast. Thanks to the Informer for hosting us here at the Real Estate Forums and our sponsors of the speaker video series, Dow Vukovic, ML Emporio, Turner and Townsend. And of course, thanks, Nuri, for coming back on. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Welcome to the commercial real estate podcast powered by First National, where we talk about uh, the conversation we just had with Nareen Altman. Thank you. We've not had anybody from RBC on before, and I wasn't exactly sure, to be totally frank, exactly what the business line was. I mean, we, Capital markets is a big, gets used a lot. It seems to mean different things in different places. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So I, I, knew, I knew obviously she's from capital markets, but what I thought was really interesting, just the advisory approach. The, you know, the fact that she was very transparent, that it's been, it's been
1: challenging out there, right? I, that's my thought too. She said, hard to stay upbeat. And uh, one other comment too, on the same lines, like just very transparent, especially for somebody in a role where generally positivity is the kind of go-to emotion. how's the year going? Oh, good, good. We'll get better. Like, you're always just kind of positive. And she said, yeah, it's a struggle and very relatable. Well, and to be fair, we interviewed a lot
2: of people in different roles around real estate. And it's refreshing when you get the honesty because- Often we get the, no, no, it's all good. It's yeah, great. But we know it's not because we are in real estate. And so it can't be, right? Like it's, 2023 has been a hell of a year. Like it just has been. And there's no transactions going on. There's nothing going on. It's it's just, it's, it's a bit a mess. And some people will sit here and go, yeah, we've had this wonderful year and everything's great. And it, it you kind of go, okay, awesome. Next question. So for her to be just totally honest was really appreciated.
1: Yeah. And anyway, to, you know, to her credit, she did identify that regardless of the lower hit rate she's experiencing on listings, still bringing your A-game, so you know, that's what required. You know, if anything, it's that much tougher to get a deal across, so you need to put that much more energy into it, uh, even just to maintain that, I think she said 50% hit rate that uh, they're at right now. Based on the fact that she was honest about that, I... I tend to believe that she was
2: honest on other aspects and one of the questions was asked about the duress, duress sales and she seemed to indicate that hasn't really that hasn't really been occurring
1: well I mean can you speak on First Nationals behalf about you know increases in duress sales and our well I tell you there's zero there hasn't yeah. been any right yeah. like NSFs are flat loans going
2: into default there's always a couple because they are yeah non-sufficient <laughs> funds insufficient funds yeah non-sufficient funds like it's
1: all flat there hasn't been any yeah. so yeah I mean if were an indicator of market at all, then,
2: yeah. Yeah, to be fair, the mortgage is typically the last thing you d- default on. You'll go to yeah. your broker and try to yeah. sell the thing before you start missing your mortgage payments, typically. But I don't know, right? Nevertheless.
1: Yeah. And we may not see something in distress. Maybe somebody who was forced to sell but got out clean just with an equity hit, but we never saw an impact on the mortgage. Yeah, she seems to think that or indicate that that's not
2: not transpiring, which is a good sign. You know, we're here at the Toronto Real Estate Forum at end the of, end of day two. And... Cautious optimism, I think, would be the summary, right? Multiple economists talking about rates going down in 2024 has survived to 2025, but it, it, you know, it wasn't the carnage is coming, you know, just wait for it type of vibe. It was very much uh we're all holding on, we're all hunkering down, pens are down for the most part, some opportunistic, you know, uh, perspectives, but just kind of a slow, patient, wait it out, and we'll
1: all be good. Which is amazing if you think about it. And like, The idea of a soft landing has been talked about for a while, and Many people are not believers in that, and I'm not. I'm not saying that you know we're through it yet. But if this does kind of, this is the low point where we are now in 2024. Is a bit of a rebuilding year in 2025, or back into the next cycle. I mean, by all accounts, that is a relatively soft landing. There's only been a couple of companies we can point at that you know have gone under during this this downturn, or at least at least the companies companies of note. It's not been carnage. Um, there's obviously still there's still some pain to work through. You know, every I'm sure every. Office tower mortgage maturity is going to be a headache for somebody individually in the industry. But if this is the worst of it, this would be, I would call this a soft landing for commercial real estate. I hope you're right. Yeah. I mean, I might look, I look really dumb I and mean, we're not through this at all yet. But it is this next year at Traff, I'll be recording with somebody else who's First National has fired three quarters of their staff. Yeah. <laughs> or are will be doing a podcast today because this is my only job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She mentioned at the start of her career, she was an assistant assistant. Maybe make that a new career goal, that one day your assistant has an assistant. know, <laughs> I love it. I thought that was a, a, a funny Maybe I, mean, I mean, yeah, you're brand, brand new to the industry. That's, you know, where you start. And look at her now. I mean, managing director, RBC Capital Markets. Not bad when you started out as assistant to the assistant. That's it, I think, for our uh, Nareet Altman series podcast after show. Thanks to everybody for listening to the end.
0: Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast.